As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd. Very like Gab Marcotti, only completely different. Thank you for joining us. With me in the studio today are the marvellous Bill Edgar and the supreme James Scowcroft. Don't call him Jamie. And down the line, no one. I don't like down the lines. Later, we will be discussing the enigma, or if you prefer, the entity, that is Jose Mourinho. But first, two very similar, if very different, 2-1 defeats for big London clubs. Let's turn first to Selhurst Park, which was rocking on Saturday as Crystal Palace defeated Chelsea, the champions. It was a privilege to be there, chaps. Um, Afterwards, the first question was about the return from injury of Wilfred Zahar. Roy Hodgson wasn't keen to make it all about him. Uh, he stressed that it was a, a team performance, although later in the what we call the Monday huddle, he was prepared to uh, talk about what a remarkable player he is and how instrumental he was in the victory. But let, let's talk about Wilfred first. Used to play for England, well, in friendlies. Uh, turned his back, thought he wouldn't get a place in Gareth Southgate's team. But after watching him play on Saturday and the way he tore into Chelsea's back three if you were the England manager wouldn't you be thinking oh we've let him slip through our fingers he'd be so useful in Russia James I think they have let him slip through his fingers and I think um, Gareth Southgate apparently the the, the story goes back to the, to the 21s when I think Wilfred Zahar didn't really feel he was treated uh that great by uh, by Gareth really, so he determined decided to turn his back and uh, go to the Ivory Coast really. So the Ivory Coast's gain is England's loss. I think he's uh, a player that we lack in England. Um, watching England play now, I think technical the level is getting better, but we miss that those game changers. And Wilfred Zaha, like you'd have seen on on Saturday, Allison is a game changer. He's exciting. He gets people off his seats. He can score goals. Um, he can play in numerous positions down the middle as a number ten uh, on both on both uh, left and right sides, uh, and I think he will be. I think I think he would have played for England, and I think he would have had a, a nice little England career. Bill, what do, I mean, what if you were Roy Hodgson? What would you do? Um, would you, I mean, it was it was you know needs must. He played four four two, which was brave. Um, it was also the right thing to do. So Townsend and Zahar played as strikers, but with an absolutely free role. They could drift as wide or get, get together as closely as they liked. They were allowed to do what they wanted. And Hodgson admitted that and Zahar admitted, admitted that. We're going forward when you've got um, Benteke fit. Would you persevere with 
this or is this just a one-off tactic that suits playing against a rather sluggish and distracted Chelsea would you would you would you build on that is this the future for Palace staying up well the ideal is if they have a centre forward there but but really at the moment they've got not a, they've not got a centre forward they can rely on and Benteke's not been really not done in, enough um, and there's not too much backup behind him um, uh, so, so as it stands, they've got two um, really potentially great players, two players who have been um, top four standard on their day. By that I mean kind of Champions League standard, Wilfred Zaha and Andros Townsend. So, and it worked perfectly well on Saturday with the two of them up front, but sort of moving to the wings a lot as well. Um, I mean, Zaha is such a it's a fantastic player. Where, where he's different from other players, I think, is that he's a great winger but he's also very powerful so um, he can shrug off uh, defenders he doesn't just need uh, some great skill with his feet but he's got that but he's, he's also very strong as well so he can shrug them off as well so when he goes into the centre as he was on Saturday he can, and he's up against a strapping centre back well he can also um, cope with that as well Yeah, no, Roy said afterwards when he gave him his England debut in a friendly against Sweden about five years ago he could get pushed off the ball, but he's worked really hard on his physical conditioning. Well, he was a young and lad he's, back then, wasn't he? Well, well, he's older, but he's worked on it. He was saying yeah. he's worked on not, but, not being able to be but pushed. But actually, he will mature as well. Um, you know, some some players are late developers as well. I think down the middle, I saw him play a lot in the Championship for Crystal Palace down the middle, and he's good out wide but he can be really effective down the middle and I think if when Ben Teke is fit if you have him if Palace have him as a focal point and Zaha just in and around him I think he'll add more goals to his game and more assists yeah absolutely now Palace took it to another level perhaps or a more obvious level than uh, Manchester City had in the Chelsea's previous game where City used width and pulled apart Chelsea's back three. Do we think, both of you, do we think Antonio Conte has to rethink his... I mean, he had a light bulb moment last season when he thought three at the back is how I go forward with the players at my disposal and it made David Luiz look amazing. But they're being pulled apart now by teams that are using width. It suffocates their own wing backs and just makes them look like a sluggish back five, I would argue. Does he have to rethink or can can his 3-4-3 three, three still get him to a top four top two finish well I, I would they've had two, two defeats now in a row I wouldn't I wouldn't panic just yet um, I, I think they should uh, stick with the the current system for a while I mean, obviously on Saturday they had no Angola Conte is such a uh, vital player for them he's uh, injured I mean he can go all around the pitch filling in any gaps that, that arise so I wouldn't be uh, uh, too concerned yet they have um, been struggled with um, injuries and also the suspensions of Gary Cahill and David Luiz it's meant that the back three have really been unsettled this season which it wasn't last season so that's something they've come to have to come to terms with I also feel that they're having won the league and done it so easily so uh, so comfortably that they're perhaps prioritizing the Champions League this this year you know psychologically if not anything else and certainly they're much busier this year because they had only you know the league to worry about last time so so tactically I I, I can't see him changing from three uh, for the time being anyway but maybe another couple of defeats he'll, he'll have to rethink I agree I agree with you I think it's really clear that he's targeting the Champions League and if you compare the just the attitude of the players when they defeated Atletico 
to the way they played against um, City and Palace, it, it, it just seems obvious that the priority, even if it's subconscious, is to do well in the Champions League. And he's constantly saying he can't juggle the resources he has for four competitions. It's a bit negative. But if you were Roma, James, wouldn't you just look at the previous two league games, ignore the Atletico game, look at the two league games and think, we can stretch, we can stretch Chelsea and inhibit their midfield? You can do. I think you've got to look at the Man City game as a little bit of a one-off because Roma won't be anywhere near the, the technical ability that, that Man City are. I but think... Roma would think, well, we're just like, well, we've got to be better than Palace. They're bottom. And maybe, maybe. I, I think, you know, Chelsea were exceptionally poor at the weekend and, and that's every every team has a, an off day. Maybe that was, the, was theirs. I, I think you have to be very, very careful in football if you're prioritising one competition and that is a cup competition because... If he keeps losing in the league, he might not be around to, to see out the Champions League. So I think that's a very dangerous um, ploy. Why, with the 75 professional players they've got on their books, they're short of numbers is baffling. If you look at Tam Tammy Abraham, for, for example, how he is not in the, the Chelsea starting 11 at the moment with Morata being all out, but certainly being on the bench. Yeah, I think the whole Seriously, club... do you think Tammy Abraham's that good? I've seen him play really poorly this season. Well, I think he's a young lad and I think he gives Chelsea something that that they haven't got really and, and it is about time that you know even, even to, to bring him off the bench would he have been any worse than Michai at the, the, the weekend? Sorry. Yeah well Batshuayi is a off the bench player the, the problem he has is he I mean you maybe you can explain this because you've you've come off the bench and you know the difference a lot well you know what, what it feels like and there are in the history of football there are some players for whom it never quite worked trying to start and being as effective as they can be when they come off the bench I, I mean he I, was hauled off early in the second half it, you kind of get the impression if he can avoid it Conte won't start him again I mean Batshuayi at the moment it, he's the only centre forward with Chelsea Abraham's obviously on loan at Swansea so he's the only centre so it's either him or, or a different system so I mean for, for a team going for the the league supposedly the you know it's a pretty poor situation I mean Batshuayi I mean he, he, he won't be able to believe what's happened having moved for 33 million pounds he still hasn't played 90 minutes and he's been out there over a year and he's not been injured at all and now and the, the main striker's been injured and he still can't as you say he was taken off just before he couldn't even last an hour they were behind and they were, they were losing and they took him off they were, with less than an hour gone so he, he must be despairing but he doesn't the way he plays doesn't fit like Fabregas. He, he's got amazing vision. He's, but he needs someone to run for his beautiful cross-field passing to work. And if you've got a centre-forward who isn't make, looking to make the runs, it, it just he, he was caught clogs on his up heels, the play. Yeah, he was caught on his heels, wasn't he? And I think you know, Morata is a huge miss for Chelsea. But I just think if Chelsea are challenging to be into the top four, to challenge in the league and in Europe... You need probably three centre forwards in your in your in your in your match day squads at the moment. One to start, maybe two to start, at least one or two off the bench. And the the lack of options for a club of Chelsea's size and the infrastructure they have is, is baffling, really. Do you think he will recall Tammy Abraham? I'm not sure he can. Can he? Can he rules? not do it in January? I don't, I don't know if he can do it in January, but you know, January is another three months away. There's a lot of football between now and January. Do you think he's watching his progress? 
I'm sure somebody is. <laughs> well, that's the difference, isn't it? Because Paul Clement is giving Tammy Abraham one-on-one -on -one coaching and he's nurturing him. And that's how he got to sign him on loan in the first place because he knew him from when he was at Chelsea. And he, of all the options Abraham might have had, maybe Swansea wasn't top of his list, but Paul Clement said... I'll make you a better player. And he gives him time and patience. He's prepared to risk him in games and watch him not do very much and then pick him again, knowing that that will build his confidence. You won't get a Chelsea manager, any Chelsea manager, doing that. They can't afford to do that. Yeah, don't don't look too much into the coaching. It's The game is the best teacher and you have to learn. And what we don't give our younger players in this country, we don't give them the opportunity to learn on the job. You know, We, we all do it in, in life, whatever your job is. By doing it day in and day out, in uh, you learn, and, and these young players, and Abraham now is learning at Swansea. Most importantly, by playing week in, week out. Well, exactly, but the, but Clement is doing what he said he would do, which is the key word is patience. I think he didn't expect him to be Premier League ready because he wasn't, but he's prepared to say, "I've seen what you can do in the Championship. I know what your coaching has been like at Chelsea." I'm not going to say only Swansea, but you 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 can offer a player something much more nurturing at a club like Swansea, even though they're still a club that have to worry about relegation than you can at Chelsea. I don't know. That seems slightly to me. That seems slightly perverse. Does it to you? Well, it's, I mean, Swansea don't have that many alternatives. It's not like they're keeping out a couple of. Um, top quality very expensive foreign strikers just to give Abraham a chance I mean you know there's there's not there's uh, there's not that much else beyond him so to, they have to give him a chance I and mean, the, the irony really is that uh, if Abraham was at Chelsea at the moment that he, he would be playing a bit I mean you know it's not like um, uh, it's not as if there would um, if he moved to Chelsea now they'd have three big strikers ahead of him there's, there's literally nothing ahead of him if he was there from the hour onwards there's nothing ahead of him at Chelsea because Morata's injured Batshuayi they'd given up on after an hour so he would have been might, would surely have been playing yeah fair point just a word on um, Hazard seems to me he was exposed slightly as what we term a luxury player in that without Kante there to fill the gaps, cover his back, just offer him the reassurance that his drifting all over the pitch uh, can work. He was actually more of a, um, a hindrance than a help to his team. Am I is that stating well, too too, he, too he, far? He does love to play one-twos with the strikers there with Diego Costa and then now with Alvaro Morata but he, he, he just had um, Batshuayi with him on Saturday. He was, as we've said, he's been has been struggling. So um, Hazard is such a he's not a um, he's much more of a player who will uh, who link in with short ex exchange of passes with players. So he needs his teammates to be playing well. Really, that really lifts his game as well. I mean, he certainly you can't say he's not off form. Certainly with Belgium, he was absolutely brilliant recently so uh, um, so I don't think it's that's the issue I, I think it's just he, he needs a good centre forward he needs Morata back yeah and he well I felt he um, stifled William as well and they sort of got in each other's way a little bit it, it, it was a bit of a mess should we just round this up with uh, two very quick answers to two quick questions can Palace stay up will Chelsea retain the title 
Palace can stay up without without doubt. You know, if you look at the players they've got in their their side, like Kabay and, and Zaha, Benteke, more than enough to stay up. Saturday's a huge win for them. They've got three games now. Next two games really need to pick more points up. Newcastle away, West Ham at home are two big games for them as well. So they need to try and get some momentum going. Um, I don't think Chelsea can retain the title, no. I think Palace could uh, certainly stay up, but player for player, they're they're well ahead of the likes of Brighton and Huddersfield. Yeah. I mean, if they finished, say, ninth, you wouldn't be that surprised at all, at least uh, if we were starting the season now. The fact that they've only got three points from eight games means they're having to catch up quite a bit. But even so, um, unless there's some massive injury crisis, they really should do well. And I think Hodgson's a very good manager. This situation will suit him perfectly well. Um Chelsea, I thought, one of three teams who could win the title, along with Manchester City and Manchester United. It, it's looking a bit grim for them now. They're nine points off Manchester City. Um, as I say, they'd have problems with suspensions and injuries, and they look like they're focusing more on the Champions League. So it's looking very much a long shot for Chelsea now. Time for Goal of the Week. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League and the FA Cup. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. So, James, what was your favourite stroke-significant goal of the Premier League weekend? Well, just sort of touched on in, in the latter is significant. It has to be Crystal Palace's first goal of the season. Uh, they haven't scored in seven games. They were just starting to come a bit of a laughing stock. So uh, well, it wasn't really a Crystal Palace goal, was it? At first it was given to Kabai, but I think it was a Aslipeta OG. It was. So I'm going to have to give it. It's great to see them uh, up and running and it was a huge goal that set them on their way. Actually, I, I, they have officially given it to uh, Aspel Equator, but I thought he hit it off Kabai's shin, didn't he? He, he hit it off ship but then I think it went off as Pilicultra as well. There were three quick touches in about oh, okay. a tenth of a second. Should give it to goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And Bill, what was your goal of the weekend? Um, I've gone for one from the Manchester City Stoke game. Um, Ooh, which one? Have, there were well, so many. Yeah. Well, the one I've gone for is there. Manchester City's sixth. That was uh, uh, De Bruyne's um, fifty-yard. 40-yard or so, diagonal pass forward, leftwards towards Sane, who just right into his stride and knocked into the net. It was one of those passes where, watching on television, you um, you thought, oh, I can't see what the pass is here, and it goes behind Fletcher of Stoke. Then then it goes, the ball goes behind Zuma, and you still can't see who it's aimed <laughs> for. Then it goes behind Cameron, and suddenly, oh, it's for Sane. And you re- rewind and five seconds before he realised De Bruyne had already worked, worked this out and Sane just simply had to run um, not even break stride and just knock it home from six yards The train is now approaching Junction at platform Passengers Airport please stay on board Next stop Road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with There's more to iPhone Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Watford defeated Arsenal. Can be summed up flippantly, perhaps. Arsenal play quite well, take the lead through Per Mertesacker, looks very happy about it. Marco Silva decides it's all a bit too sweet, brings on Troy Deeney, who um, decides I'll go and whack a few people, see if they're up for it or not. Oh, they're not. Um, I'll help Watford just bully Arsenal out of three points. Which it is, that is slightly flippant. On the other hand, we have to turn to Troy Deeney, who every outlet he was interviewed by was incredibly honest about it and said, whenever I play Arsenal, I'll go up and think, let me whack the first one and see who wants it. And he decided they didn't. It, I mean, is this, is this something that possibly a lot of players who face Arsenal think, but they just don't tell us? Or has Troy Deeney uncovered the the golden apple and the, the secret to to defeating uh, a posh team. It's an interesting comment, isn't it? And, it? and it's a comment that sometimes a little bit of a no-no between professional footballers that you don't really... Although you might think that, you don't go out into the media and say, well, they're a bit soft, they don't fancy it, this, that, and that. Especially at a team like Arsenal, who are a bigger club. But are you allowed to say... I mean, he'd, be, he'd have been wrong for him to say it beforehand... But for him to say it after it's just happened, isn't that legitimate? He's explaining how they did it. Well, it's great for you know, journalists who are there after and want some quotes. It's gold dust. But I don't know. You just have a rule. I looked at it and, you know, this is Troy Deeney. Has he ever played in the Champions League? Has he ever played for a big club like Arsenal? So you think it's disrespectful? A little bit. Yes, I do. Even if it's honest? Oh, it's honest. You, you can't knock him. It's probably true as well. So, but isn't it? But if it's honest, that is significant, isn't it? That he, he's because we. But we all we have all we have all life, said Alison, we've all said we've all said in the past the problem with one of the problems with Arsenal is they they just don't seem robust enough. And that's great from pundits and and journalists. But I think in your own profession, like, do you criticise journalists in your job and openly? You wouldn't do that, would you? No, I, mm. I, I I agree. It's, I suppose it's a bit bit rude, um, but oh, the, I suppose the one thing in this case is that Arsenal have heard it so often that they could, they almost it would just wash over them. Uh, I mean, Sam Allardyce used to say it a lot, and uh, um, that Arsenal don't like it up them, and quite a few players have said so. It, it is a bit surprising, really, because but I suppose it's got to the stage now where where Arsenal just don't really change and under Wenger they're not really going to change so you don't think well if I say this this is going to rile them and next time they play us they're going to you know play differently and much harder so they just Dini just thinks they're just going to be exactly the same I can say what I want it, it also could, looks quite good on uh, for Dini himself and that he's um, uh, pointing out how clever he was to to work out how to beat uh, one of the best teams in England, and, and this is how he did it. And look, I, you've all seen it on television, of course. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, you have to agree with them, really. Yeah, it's an interesting point you made about n- normally what would happen, because I've just finished reading um, 
Ian Herbert's book on Bob Paisley and he says in that book that Bob Paisley didn't really know how to give team talks unless he could cut something out of a newspaper and stick it on the dressing room wall if someone had tried to criticise them or, 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 or just call them out on something. He'd, he, he would encourage, he would be very, very happy to see players, managers from other clubs say something just even slightly negative about Liverpool because that, that used to form the basis of his team talks. But you're absolutely yeah. right, Bill. Do we expect Arsene Wenger to cut out the quote like the one I just read out and stick it on the dressing room wall and tell Arsenal in their next game to be to be rough, ready, aggressive, show who's boss. I don't think we do expect that, do we, James? No, I don't think that's Arsene Wenger's style of management, is it? I think he'll sweep it under the carpet like he usually does, really. I, I think maybe 20 years ago this was understandable where you could literally rough someone I'm not quite sure if you told someone to go out and deliberately target someone you'll end up getting sent off which isn't big and clever either really I think Troy is very honest in, in what he says we all think it but sometimes you have to uh, has to stay there now um, do we think Wenger might get into trouble he he called the penalty decision scandalous it was when Bellerin supposedly brought down Richarlison and it looked soft, although in the game um, today on Monday, the 16th of October, Mark Clattenburg says it was a penalty and not a dive. Regardless of whether it was or not, and I'd like to know what you thought, do we take Wenger literally when he says scandalous or do we just feel it's just... He just plucked an adjective that sounded cross at the time? I think probably most people equate scandalous with simply terrible, awful, bad... You know, a bad decision as opposed to Corrupt. implying that the <laughs> referee was, uh, uh, was doing it deliberately. Watergate or something, yeah. yes. Um, was it a penalty? Um, certainly, you know, it's a bit of a grey area. I would say it probably was um, because um, Richarlison got to the ball first, knocked it slightly a across the path of Bellerin, who was running back, and then so he, he followed the ball's new path, as it were, and Bellerin sort of put his leg across that path and they collided so I mean it was very soft but I, I would just say it was a, a penalty but almost 50-50. I mean James I mean, you, you could if you wanted to you could make a case for Arsenal being unlucky because uh, another on another day that might not have been given as a penalty quite easily not given I think because it was so marginal and the winning goal um I thought it was offside because there was a, a ricochet that that came off a Watford player. So the, the in the the, the immediate build-up, there was an Watford player offside. So two goals that were were marginal. I mean, do you do you feel Wenger will go back and feel it was just one of those dreadful days when nothing went for us and we played reasonably well, or is well, the whole thing an indictment of, of well, another it, season where Arsenal are going to annoy everybody? Yeah, it happens too often, doesn't it, at Arsenal, for it to be. Oh, we're just unlucky, really. Obviously, the penalty decision was a, a, a massive factor in the game and it, and it did change the game, really. Um, but certainly in the last 15 minutes, you know, Arsenal have a lot of questions to be answered, really. Um, we just see it time and time again when we, where they can't... They are fragile at the back and they can't put games to bed. In the middle, they're fine. They'll play some lovely football. Um but they're now, you know, if you look at them now in the, the table, they're six. They're already nine points off off Man City as well. It's it's here we go again for Arsenal, isn't it? And Arsenal Wenger. And read out where Watford are. 
Watford are fourth. Now then, that's the big question. Is this just some mad blip or they, can they sustain it, Bill? Well, um, as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, they've done this uh, three times now. They've started really well. Um, started the season really well uh, since they got promoted um, in the summer of 2015. Um, and then each time they've fallen away after Christmas, but it hasn't really mattered because they've got enough points already. So, so it's nothing new in that sense. It, it's just extraordinary how they have had a new manager each each summer. They've changed manager. They've changed a lot of the players. Um, yet they've just just been able to come up with the goods. I mean, uh, cleverly's been highlighted uh, doing well against Arsenal, but Ducuro is I thought was equally as good in central midfield. A uh, different type of player, much more of a ball winner, cleverly more creative, and they were really good. Um, and Watford have done it despite uh, having plenty of injuries, especially at centre back. Um, uh, so that yes, it's remarkable on the face of it. If they'd have, if any of these three seasons they'd have um, uh, been sitting in the bottom three now, people wouldn't have said, "Oh, that's a big shock," you know. So it's it's amazing to be this high fourth. Okay, it's time for the game debate. Um, the debate is Jose Mourinho. This is this is a bit of a this is a bit of a cheat, chaps, because. An obvious game before the weekend kicked off was we're bound to discuss uh, Liverpool v Man United, but that just made me feel very depressed. So we can mention it as we talk about the weekend that Mourinho has had. He started making overtures to PSG, aren't they shiny and lovely? And he's not going to spend the rest of his career at Manchester United. So let's try and work out what he's doing. There's the big picture and the smaller picture. Big picture first is... Mourinho talking about um, PSG and the fact that he's already thinking about his next move in management because he's trying to negotiate a new bumper contract to Old Trafford? Or does he just get very bored very quickly? And has he already decided it's not as glittery at Old Trafford as he thought it would? Seems to me, he, wherever he is, he's always looking around the corner. He's always looking for the next lovely thing. What's going on? Uh, Bill, tell me. Yeah, it is a bit surprising because he's... Um... <coughs> On the face of it, uh, United have improved quite a bit. Well, they have really in the year and a bit he's been there, so he, he should be excited about that. He should be looking forward to um, at least another two or three years, uh, if not more, assuming he can stay successful. Um, it would be would be a bit surprising. I suppose he is getting on. He's 54 now, and, and if he wants to, he's a sort of... Um, manager would like to say at the end, look, I've got, a, I've won a title in all of the big five leagues. So um, he's done it in England with Chelsea and in Spain with Real Madrid and Italy with Inter Milan. Uh, and uh, then if he goes on to PSG, well, there's a very good chance he'd win the league there, you know. And there's only one to go, so he'd, you know, and then he'd be spend the rest of his life in his dotage telling everybody that comes into his room that he's won the big five leagues. So, um, so I guess it, there's that sort of attraction for him just for his CV. But um, well, but sure, it, it, sure, we all have yeah. dreams and we all have lists we want to complete. But other, do we might... do we publicly tell people we want them? Um, it's always good to keep your profile up, I guess, and um, just to show he's in the market, just to give people ideas, you know, so if next time PSG are thinking about a, a manager, well, they'll at least consider him, we'll consider the idea of it because he's brought it up. Um, so I suppose in that sense, it's, um, you know, maybe it's a worthwhile thing for him to do. Well, but James, 
it, it struck me as peculiar timing. There's been a lot of positive stuff coming out about the way Mourinho has got United playing well up until the game at Anfield. How he's uh, swept through the club. He's taken down pictures of old victories and put up pictures of current players and then scoring great goals. He's made it about now, not history. He's stamping his personality on the things that happen in the club. This is the Mourinho way of doing things. So when you go to training, it's different now. It's a Mourinho way of doing it. He looks like he's on a roll, that he might have, um, he might really push City all the way to the title if that's the way it's going to go. Why, why, when you've just got people on the side and it looks like United are ticking along very nicely, do you? why then do you start hinting at your next option? in another country. Why would you do that? Because he's just got over 18 months left in his contract. He wants a new deal, so he's used the press to, uh, oh, one day I might go to PSG and, oh, I might do this. So I think maybe Mr uh, Woodward will be on the phone or we'll be seeing him today and we'll be in touch with uh, Mr Mendes in Portugal to, to sort a new deal out. I think that's Jose's game, really, of using the, the, the press. Um, and that, so, but that certain implies... individuals in the press. James, that implies that Mourinho thinks there's a possibility he won't get a new improved extension well, I, I, as far as I am aware they oh, they would like to, to keep rise. him um, if, he, if he carries on as he's doing you know last season was a good season this year he, he seems to have improved it even more um, yeah I think maybe he's just questioning and, and just testing the club really a little bit What what's your thoughts where are we going with this you know I need to be backed in the transfer market I need um, I'm surprised I'm surprised he's only signed a three year contract really usually you know, David Moyes got a a 15-year contract <laughs> when he signed was it six yeah. or seven years yeah. and to let someone like Mourinho um, yeah, he, he, he certainly wouldn't be short of offers um, to get get sort of 18 months to the end of his contract I, I'm sure that'll be sorted out and I'm sure that's just a little knock on the door in the media to, to get people to listen but you know lots of people around Old Trafford and you know fans as well how does I mean how, does that is he not in danger of alienating them especially as there is still a tiny bit of doubt that he is part of properly part of the culture of Manchester United that he doesn't quite fit them and they took their time approaching him in the first place there is a sense that he's just a little bit too pragmatic for the United tradition I think that was the case three or four years ago I don't think it's the case now I think Manchester United got to a position where they didn't have any choice but to a point someone like Jose Mourinho who literally does guarantee you right we will compete for trophies we will win trophies but there is there is baggage that comes with him that is the the controversial side he's he's never far away from um sort of grabbing the headlines for numerous reasons really and sometimes especially you know we saw it at the weekend well I have seen it I've seen it twice now in, in the space of a, of a year really but going to your biggest rivals Probably with a better team and parking the bus and being defensive is, I don't, I'm not sure that's a, a Manchester United manager. But he has done very well so far, and the crowd and the fans are firmly behind him. Yeah, Bill. I mean, you, Bill, you pointed out maybe it's a very good time to let people know that you could go somewhere else when your stock has risen. But I think it plummeted. It did plummet a little yeah. bit on Saturday at Anfield. It was a very yeah. peculiar match. Yeah. I I mean, it was. You can say it's surprising that uh, a manager doing so well this season did that. But given it's Mourinho, he would he would be changing character if he hadn't done that. I mean, 
he he did it exactly the same last year. He had, uh, when he got to Chelsea, his uh, the, the the first two seasons they were way to Arsenal. They had two nil nil draws. You know, it was the kind of a big rival, a regional rival as Liverpool Manchester United is, and he just went for two nil 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 draws and got it. I mean, I, whether it's the right thing to do. I mean, leaving aside, should he be looking for? a more aesthetically pleasing performance. Aside from that, was it the right thing to do? I'm not sure it was. I thought Liverpool were slightly better. If they played the game ten times, Liverpool would win it more often than United, the way the game went. It wasn't, they weren't massively on top, but just a little bit on top. I thought if United had gone for it more, they would have probably got a, had a... It would have increased their chances of winning. So I don't think it was a... It was great. Poor old Lukaku... Um, He's played reasonably well this season. He just didn't have any uh, hope. He'd, the ball passed up to him. He was on his own. He had three players around him. And his, his options were either to play it straight back again to somebody, which wasn't that easy because he was surrounded, but or occasionally he thought, well, I'll try and do something, hold on to it, and then it became absolutely impossible to he, holding on to the ball with four or five opponents around you. You're never going to do that. So, um, so I mean, it was very disappointing from a neutral point of view because it's just a, such a, a poor, dull game. But um, I don't think it was that surprising. And I don't think he's going to... Um, he'll do it more than, say, two or three games. He would do it away to Manchester City way to Arsenal probably maybe Tottenham and that's about it all the other games will be will be perfectly uh, um, positive and attacking enough so it's not like he's going to do it for the whole season but yeah it's a bit disappointing when the world is watching and it's such a such a damp squib James do you do you think he was telling the truth when he said afterwards that he would have been more attacking he was just waiting for Klopp to play more attacking players and give more space in midfield. A, do you think that's the truth? And if it is the truth, isn't that a bit peculiar that you are so passive when it comes to the tactics in a match that what you, you, you can do nothing other than wait for your opponent to do something you've predicted they might do and if they don't do it, then you just stay static? What was going on with that post-match stuff? Well, I think he is twisting the truth, really, because we've seen it, especially at at Liverpool. He has had success doing it, that he has time and time again gone into these games and and done the same thing. Park Bussey did exactly the same last season, even even more so last season. It was uh, that to sort of rely on David De Gea again. I I just feel Manchester United are probably one of four or five teams in the world that are expected to win every game. And I think he went to Liverpool, one of United's biggest rivals, and, and showed a bit of fear and too much, gave them far too much respect. Um, they were a team that aren't in a great place at the moment. The manager is under a little bit of pressure and they were there for the take-in. And I think he got it wrong. Time for some quick hits. Andy Carroll is sent off for using his elbow. Actually, I was... I followed that on Twitter and all I saw without any hashtags or anything was Carol sent off and I immediately knew which Carol it was. So it says a lot, doesn't it? Andy Carroll is sent off for using his elbow twice. James, is he stupid? Unlucky? Violent? He's a little bit silly really, especially after the first yellow to, to go for a ball um, that he was never going to get to. It's sort of a 20-30% chance at best really and and when you go for something like that you have to leave uh, uh, lead with your arm because it's only natural to do that I just think he was silly to do that and you know the referee had no choice But if you were Billich how angry would you be do you think? 
with him. Yeah. Well, you'd be very angry. You know, you can't. You can't. You know, a player like Andy Carroll will always play like that, and you have to, you know, understand his game. And you can't deny his, um, you know, his determination. But without doubt, if you keep Andy Carroll on the the pitch, you're one nil up. You'd like to think you'd see the goal, uh, the game out. Probably costs West Ham two points. Yeah, Bill. Can we name the player of the season right now? Kevin De Bruyne has everyone gushing, and you were indeed gushing about him earlier. Yes, he's been absolutely brilliant. Of course, uh, it's still only eight games gone, and we're still in the early or well, mid-autumn. Um, lots of things can change. Manchester City won the first ten games last year, and then they fell away a bit. Um, uh, David Silva's not too far behind De Bruyne, I think, this season. Um, I think there's a long, certainly a long way to go yet, so let's not give it to him just yet. No, but that's the point, isn't it? He's just street at the moment. He's the gush player. Spurs won at Wembley, but only just. James, why is it taking so long for them to get comfortable there? Because it's just not like home. Um, I've seen Spurs this, this year play at Wembley in the league and it is a million miles away from White Hart Lane and it's so sterile. It's, there is no atmosphere at all. I'm sure a lot of Tottenham fans will, will back me up on this. And they have struggled to adjust. That's that's uh, fact. They only just got over the line at the weekend as well, really. So it's going to be, you know, they have to get on with it. There's still a long way to go in this season and they need to make, if they're going to get into the top four, they need to make Wembley a bit of a fortress and they're not quite doing that at the moment and I think the fans are struggling to adapt as well. Anthony Knockhart gave Brighton the lead against Everton and celebrated with a heavy dose of emotion. What was all that about, Bill? Yes, well, when players score, they seem to go into an emotional state where the, the most important things in their life come to the, the forefront of their mind and uh, for him uh, over the last year he's, he's talked a lot about the death of his father so um, that and indeed that was uh, on his mind when he scored uh, yesterday and uh, and of course on top of that it was his first Premier League goal so he, he wants to prove to uh, various doubters that he can do it at this level as well as uh, the championship where he played so well. Do you think he do you think that goal is significant also because we are now going to see a more relaxed version of himself because he it was almost effortless for him last season maybe he's just been trying too hard yes maybe um and he wants to yeah to tie down a place he wasn't uh, wasn't in the, the the first 11 initially but now he he looks like he'll he'll get a run in the team James, Paul Clement made the radical switch from 4-4-2 to 4-3-3 and defeated Huddersfield. Is it ever just that simple? Uh, no, football's never that simple. I think they had to change something because obviously they were on a not a great run of form really and, and maybe just that odd little change as well. I think Huddersfield played 4-3-3 as well so sometimes you, you know, the easiest thing to do is right, we're going to match the, uh, the opposition and we're going to make it an individual battle all over the pitch which it seems to be the case at the weekend really and they've come out on top so I'm sure we'll stick to it next week. No one seems terribly sure, Bill, if Newcastle's point at St Mary's was a bonus or a disappointment. You can have the final word on that. I think it was a good point for them. I mean, just staying up will be success for them. They just want to stabilise. They've just come up from the Championship. They want to stabilise and build up strongly. As we've said, they've got potential to to become a, a big six club because of their huge fan base. Um, and a point away from Southampton. All right, uh, Southampton have been struggling to score a lot in recent times, but uh, they've still been not been played that badly. 
Um, and I think that uh, a point away to Southampton is, is, is very good. Alison, one for you. Can Rooney and Sigerson ever play in the same team? This dilemma is making me quite angry, actually, because Ronald Koeman is watching it week in, week out. It quite clearly isn't working. When's he going to do something about it? You've got... Wayne Rooney went back to Everton and he clearly thought they're a step below Manchester United, but that's OK because I'm going back to Everton and I can rule the roost. I can be the the player that the team functions around. I can run the team. But you spend 45 million quid on Gilfie Sigurdsson because you're going to build a team around him. Otherwise, it makes no sense at all. And he is that sort of player. He's like Ericsson is at Spurs, quietly just makes everything tick along very nicely. All that happens now is that Rooney covers all the ground and makes all the decisions that Gilfie Sigurdsson should be making. They're literally bumping into each other at times. And I think it's probably at the kernel of what is wrong with Everton. Because if you don't... If you're a team aiming for a top five finish, top six finish, which Everton are, clearly, maybe they even had top four in their sights when they spent all the money at the start of the season. You have to have a pattern of play. And um, Sigurdsson is just... Uh, there are two, two, we're talking about two players. One of them has just got smallest nation ever into the World Cup finals. And the other one doesn't play for his country anymore. Stop trying to pander to the Rooney thing or tell him to play where he can play, which is an emergency centre forward, I suspect, and build a team around Sigurdsson. Have the courage of your £45 million convictions and sort it out, Ronald. Do you think, and I saw this with Rooney towards the end of his Old Trafford days, he wanted to do... So he wanted to drop back into midfield, didn't he? I think he realised that he'd lost his mobility and lost his legs a little bit to go and be an out-and-out number nine. Technically, he's, he's, he's always been very good and he always will be very good. And I think deep down, he wanted to do it at Old Trafford, but there wasn't United were in transition and didn't really have the the sort of time to do what they did with gigs and moving backwards a little bit. And maybe he wants to do the same at Everton and they can't. He does want to do it. And he stated publicly he wants to do it. Yeah. And I... I'd, admire his ambition to want to be that kind of player but that you it's not working it's not working when you've got a better version of that on the pitch already and the answer is drop drop Rooney or make sure when he's on the pitch he's just playing as an out and out centre forward to get on the end of a Sigurdsson set piece but he even takes the set pieces it's a joke <laughs> Right. Not that you've got any sort of uh, love in with Gilfie Sigerson at all. I only love Gilfie Sigerson because he's such a great player. <laughs> that's, enough. <sighs> that's enough for me. And well done, Iceland. Hi there, my name is Paddy Von Baer and I'm here with Charlie Scott. Hello. And uh, we're back for our weekly update from The Sweeper, which is uh, Time Sports free fantasy football tipping service. You can sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football and uh, you'll receive an email every Friday morning packed full of uh, advice and other such goodness. Yeah, so last week we uh, tipped Raheem Sterling for Man City's game against Stoke and he was the top scoring player in that game with a goal, two assists and two bonus points as they won 7-2. And he's the top scoring player in the game week so far ahead of Leicester West Brom tonight. We also tipped Christian Eriksen to uh, produce the goods for Tottenham against Bournemouth and he did just that with a goal and three bonus points. Pascal Gross for 
Brighton yesterday was great, picking up an assist. And then Alfie Mawson for Swansea was helped them keep a clean sheet in their 2-0 win against Huddersfield. And then one of Mawson's teammates who have been backing... We didn't back... Obviously, we backed Mawson this week, but we've been on Tammy Abraham's case all year. He was great, scored both goals and picked up all three bonus points. He got 13 points and at 5.7 million, it was a brilliant option as a third striker. Of course, when you sign up to the Sweeper, you'll also have access to our mini-league. The highest-scoring team so far this week is Nagawi FC, uh, managed by Chandra Retnanning. Hopefully I've pronounced that all right. Uh, He used his bench boost superbly, with Raheem Sterling coming on as the first sub uh, to help him to 91 points. Um, The league's also littered with some former champions, and uh, Matthew Martiniak uh, is certainly making some moves. He's into the top 100,000 after a 58-point week, and uh, he looks set for another challenge on... uh, on the title, and uh, Matt Dickinson is one of, our, of course, one of our uh, our esteemed writers, um, and there's a handful of them in the league as well. He picks up 63 points with uh, Jamie Vardy still to come tonight at the time of recording. Uh, so uh, good stuff, Dicko. Yeah, and tomorrow after tonight's game, we'll have the recap of the week, which will go up on the website tomorrow morning, where we'll be looking at Crystal Palace. Are they back? Has Roy got them playing? Wilfred Zaha played his first game since the first game of the season. He's 6.7 million and classed as a midfielder, but he was playing as a central striker, basically, as they beat Chelsea 2-1. And his 15 touches in the penalty area was only matched by Raheem Sterling for City against Stoke. They've also got Newcastle and West Ham coming up next, so we'll look at that. And also Southampton, who were back in the goals but sadly conceded two. We'll see if there's any value in them going forward. So remember that is thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, it's free to sign up and, uh, and you, of course, get access to the mini league and all sorts of our tips, hints and advice. That's it for now. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Bill, Edgar and James Scowcroft. Remember, it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Just search The Times online. And this season, you can access highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League and the FA Cup. Gab will be back in the chair next week to pick over the bones of Spurs versus Liverpool. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.